Content warning. The Tiger and the Dragon is a 19th century horror pastiche audio drama. It will contain references to colonialism, crime, firearms, the occult, and period-typical racism, misogyny and disabilism. It will not contain any themes of sexual assault, but will contain violence, including mentions of violence against women and unborn children. Please do check the more detailed content warnings in the show notes, and look after yourselves and each other. Dear Sir, having read with great interest your volume collating the newly discovered memoirs of the great detective Mr. Holmes, I now find myself writing to you as I am in possession of some documents which may be of interest to you. My name is Dr. David Morden, and my surname is undoubtedly familiar to you. I hope, however, you will not think me a similar sort of person to my forefather. And in token of my sincerity, I am risking my reputation by sending you copies of the documents I refer to. No, I have not uncovered the memoirs of my infamous ancestor, if only that were so, but rather a collection of letters that were found in a locked box believed to have belonged to his wife. You were likely unaware that he was married. As a family, we do not often advertise the fact that we are descended from one of the most infamous villains of the 19th century, and therefore the fact is not commonly known. However, I do feel that your public might benefit from the information contained in these letters and would be happy for it to be published, provided it was not attached to me as a source. Morden is not an uncommon name, particularly in Ireland, and my family managed to live mostly undetected as a result. I would appreciate your discretion in these matters. Regarding the letters, they are mostly the correspondence of my great-grandmother. Some appear to be copies of her own letters, presumably kept for reference, and some are letters she received from others. A handful, however, do intriguingly appear to be carbon copies of letters, or even telegrams sent to or from her husband. Together they tell a story. I wonder then, she may have compiled them at some time in the past, with the intention of constructing a memoir which was never subsequently published. I hope they are of some use to you. Yours faithfully, David Morden. The Tiger and the Dragon. Episode 1. The Strange Case of the Scalp My dear Jack, I hope you are well, and that you are experiencing every success in your ministrations to the unfortunates of the East End. Since I saw you last, I have interesting news to report, and since I do remember your asking that I should keep you updated in the affairs of society while you are busy tending to the poor, I have decided to pen an epistle. I would have come to visit you myself, but your father absolutely forbids it. He is most vexing, as I'm sure you remember. Oh well, such is life. London is all abuzz at the approach of a new century, which everyone is sure will bring more amazing new advances in science and such like. There are plans for all sorts of celebrations, possibly even of a magnificence to match our beloved Queen's Golden Jubilee. My dear friend Elspeth has absolutely insisted that I come to her New Year celebration. She plans to have a proper hogmanay. Gracious, I hope there won't be bagpipes. Indeed, the festive season is already in full swing. 
Which brings me on to the interesting occurrences, regarding which I would welcome your opinion. I am almost certain that there is some connection between what I am about to relate and that dreadful business several years ago, of which you refuse to tell me the details, citing my womanly sensitivity. The matter involves your friend, Dr. Van Helsing, which is what suggested this connection to me. I had thought him on the continent attending to his wife, who I presume still requires regular care. But indeed, that seems not to be the case. For where should we see him but at the Royal Medical and Chirurgical Society Ball? I hear rumour that they're thinking of shortening the name of society, by the way. And a welcome change it shall be, I'm sure. For it is quite a mouthful. I wondered perhaps if he was to give another of his fascinating lectures. But it seemed he was merely a guest of some society worthy. I must say the doctor does not look well at all. He seemed quite pale and unkempt on top of his usual fanatically animated demeanour. And I think more common might have been passed, had it not been clear he was a foreigner the moment he opened his mouth. I wonder if perhaps attending to his wife's illness is sapping the reserves of strength. However, it was his companion more than the good doctor himself who intrigued me. He was a most singular fellow. Another foreigner, I'm certain, and as tall as your father easily. He was dressed sensibly enough, though unfashionably. A brown suit and a burgundy waistcoat. From what I saw of his face, he was as pale as the good doctor and had a shock of black hair which completely covered his ears and partly obscured an old scar on his forehead. His nose was strong and thin, and he had a pointed beard. Overall, it was a cruel face with sharp white teeth. Then he turned to me at one point. I was as shocked, for as I live and breathe, his eyes were the most startling orange red. I have only seen anything resembling such a colour once. And that was the presentation before society of an albino man from Albania. Even that poor white-haired creature's eyes were merely a dark pinkish colour and held not the hellish fires of the doctor's companion. I found myself quite disconcerted, but fascinated nonetheless, and I went at once to speak to Dr. Van Helsing. I inquired after his health and the health of his poor wife, and he informed me that he had indeed been somewhat unwell recently and his wife was showing no signs of recovery. At this, to my astonishment, his companion gave a small chuckle. I carefully ignored this display of immense rudeness and wished Dr. Van Helsing a speedy recovery, and politely asked for an introduction to his friend. Before the doctor could reply, the fellow had swept in a bow and informed me in deep tones that he was... Alucard, Vlad Alucard, delighted to meet you, Miss Seward. That name is familiar to me, I think. Are you related to a Dr. John Seward? Why, yes, John is my nephew. The two of you have met, then? I would say that we have met, yes. Most definitely met. I hope that he does well. Quite well. Always busy with his work, of course, tending to the poor and needy. Ah, yes. He did strike me as a thoughtful gentleman. How kind of you to say. I shall inform him of your good opinion when I next write to him. As now I have. He was beautifully spoken, Mr. Alucard. His English near impeccable, but I detected the slightest hint of foreign vowels, and from his regal manner, 
I wondered if he was perhaps some Eastern European prince. Visiting England incognito, perhaps, as I hear they are wont to do, marvelling at the fascinations of our advanced society. But I determined not to press the matter, as such persons will undoubtedly value their privacy. Besides that, his manners clearly left much to be desired. And I think it is up to us to give example and make a good show of it, is it not? Before I was able to think of a suitable topic for further conversation, Dr. Van Helsing was accosted by several unruly medical students, curious to pick his brains about haematology, an area which I understand he is something of an authority, and I became quite excluded from the conversation. Much to my chagrin, I was forced to leave. I would have thought nothing more of the matter, had I not later once again found myself in the company of the aforementioned pair. You will think me a silly old woman when I tell you this, but I have lately been going to seances. They are all the fashion among society, a little innocent fun. Besides, my friends will insist on my accompanying them. Apparently, I quite improve the evenings, as I tend to point out when the ectoplasm is clearly a length of muslin, and the medium is using foot pedals to control his frightening winds and noises. Truly, though, I do remain open-minded. After all, mankind has made great leaps and bounds in scientific discovery this century, and for all we know, there may well be quite a logical explanation behind the planchette and such like. Most likely something to do with psychology or some such. I'm not a dyed-in-the-wall sceptic. I am quite willing to accept there may be more to the world than what we can prove empirically. But it is such wonderful fun to expose the frauds. The night in question, we had been invited to the house of a well-known man in such circles, Dr. William Wynne Westcott. We were to be shown a fascinating technique known as psychometry which you may know is a means of divining information about an object and about the circumstances around it psychically, simply by holding it in one's hand. My friends and I were all eager to witness this spectacle. Imagine my surprise at seeing Dr. Van Helsing and his foreign companion at one of these events. Obviously, there are a few gentlemen and ladies who had been to the ball previous night present at the seance. So many of our circle are of an inquiring mind, but I would have thought such parlour diversions would have been too trivial for Dr. Van Helsing, he having a much greater and more extensive experience of the supernatural. Were the events back then of relevance to these proceedings, do you think? I would welcome your opinion. Although Dr. Van Helsing was seated in the audience, I noticed that his friends seemed to remain mostly on the edges of the room, and often quite close to the front. And though he must have moved around a good deal, I declare I never saw him do so. He seemed almost to move through the shadows, as if they were a part of him. We had all been asked to bring some object of personal significance with us, upon which the psychometrists would demonstrate their skills. You may remember some years ago your father and I attended the funeral in Thorpley Soken in Essex of a family friend, Sir William Gull? His was a sad loss. Not only to your father, whom he was very dear, but to the royal household, which he served faithfully as a royal physician for many years. He and I often discussed the role of women in medicine, 
he was most accommodating. Sometime after the funeral, I received a package from his son Cameron. Contained within was a rather handsome mahogany box containing the tools of his trade, which he had apparently left me in his will. Of course I was absolutely flattered and sent back that I could not possibly accept them, but dear Cameron insisted, but I did not wish to press the matter further in such a delicate situation. Why he left these effects to me has always been something of a mystery, but I suspect it may be because I often express my disappointment that your grandfather would not allow me to study at Edinburgh. I thought it would be both entertaining and enlightening if I were to bring an item from the box. I selected the scalpel, as I assumed it would have been handled most frequently and with most care and attention. And indeed, as it happens, I was called upon to present my object, which I did. There was no small amount of muttering and talk when I presented a scalpel. Explaining the circumstances, though, mentioning no names. The psychometric medium graciously took it from me and began to focus on it. All at once his head began to loll and he began to speak in dread tones of death and horror and the evil done by the wielder of the object. A woman torn open and wombs torn out with child still in them. Some of the more delicate ladies in the audience quite fainted away and others had to be reassured that it was all a show by their husbands. Myself? I was by turns both horrified and offended. Clearly the medium was making up some silliness to make a good spectacle of it all. I did briefly consider the awful possibility that at some point our dear friend Scalpel had been stolen or misused by some criminal for dreadful deeds, or perhaps even borrowed for unethical experiments. Perhaps in one of the institutions in which he served over the years, but I think it far more likely the medium's just fabricating nonsense for the show. However, it was when Mr. Alucard appeared quite out of nowhere and relieved the medium of the scalpel, lifting it right out of his hand. The medium immediately stared in horror at the sight of him, muttered something about evil, and fainted dead away, poor fellow. Luckily, there were already multiple bottles of smelling souls being deployed. Having sat myself in the front row, I had a better view of the proceedings, and I will swear I saw Mr. Alucard examine the scalpel and then lick it. And his tongue. I have not seen the light since I went to the museum and saw a preserved camel's tongue in formaldehyde. I wondered if it was some sort of hereditary deformity. One hears all sorts of stories about inbreeding and other strange and disturbing practices in far-flung places. Ah, definitely a woman. No, several women. And yes, pregnant. Even this old, I can tell. He said in that curious low voice of his, and I am sure I was the only one who heard, the medium being quite insensible by this point. He turned to me and offered the scalpel, handle first. I took it, doing my best to appear unafraid, and thanked him. He bowed, removed himself, seeming to melt away again into the shadows. By now the poor medium was being attended to by several persons, and no one seemed to have paid Mr Alucard and I much attention at all. It seemed that would be all this evening. I returned to my seat and replaced the scalpel in its case, with the full intention of cleaning it most carefully when I got home. This is all I can relate of that most intriguing story, I'm afraid. 
Perhaps you will have some details which can shed further light on the proceedings. If you are not still unwilling or unable to talk of such things. But don't feel pressed. I'm fond of a good mystery. I remain as ever your loving aunt, Miss Anna Seward. Dearest Aunt Anna, your news disturbs me greatly and has given me cause to send this to you by the fastest possible post. I fear from your description that you have encountered the Count, whom you know as Mr. Alucard, for it can only be he. My dearest aunt, my blood runs cold to think of you or any member of my family anywhere near that monster. We had thought him quite dead, but it seems he has somehow returned and perhaps done something terrible to poor Dr. Van Helsing. Please, I beg of you, do not go anywhere near either of them if you can possibly avoid it. Allow Arthur, Jonathan and I to deal with the matter. We're more experienced, and I fear for your safety should the Count ever show more than a passing interest in you. With the fervent wishes for your safety, I remain your loving nephew, Jack. Dearest Jack, with luck I shall have avoided making this part of the Christmas post, and it will reach you quickly. Your last letter worried me greatly, even to the point of retiring from London for a few weeks. However, I do not seriously think the Count, or Mr. Alucard, or whatever his name is, would be interested in an old woman like me. Since my last letter, I have found occasion to read John Polidori's macabre tale, or Lord Byron's, whomever chooses to claim it, and have glanced at a few penny dreadfuls, and also made some study of the folklore of Romania. If such stories are to be considered more than a fiction, and their information relied upon, I must assume that a creature such as Mr. Alucard prefers young women, like poor dear Miss Westenroe and Mrs. Harker. I therefore have no fear for my life, nor my sanguine humours. I am sure now that you are quite overreacting, though I am touched that you care for me enough to engage in such an expensive career. However, like you, I am deeply concerned for Dr. Van Helsing, even to the point where I disregarded your orders and sought him out. My inquiries were met with the response that he has returned home to visit his poor wife, and undoubtedly Mr. Alucard has gone with him. He is quite out of the reach of any of us, even Lord Godalming, as no one has an address to contact him. It is vexing indeed. But I have faith in Dr. Van Helsing, and I do not believe he'd be allowing Mr. Alucard to walk around freely, unless he had some great hold over the fiend. Nevertheless, I will write to your father, and ask if I may stay with him and your mother for a while, which will please him immensely, I'm sure. He always prefers it when he can keep an eye on me. With love and best wishes, I remain your loving aunt, Miss Anna Seward. Tiger and the Dragon is a Cytochrome Here production by Liz Sutcliffe, distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial 4.0 International Licence. It featured Neil N. O'Donnell as David Moran, Jennifer Noirot as Anna Seward, Jonathan Kedger as John Seward, and Paul McDonough as Mr. Alicard. Editing, soundscaping and score was by Liz Sutcliffe, with additional mastering editing by Jem Hawes. This episode used sounds from freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. 
If you enjoyed this little pastiche, please do leave us a review on your podcasting platform of choice, in the Times of London, or via a Ouija board, in the salon of a mysterious and probably fraudulent medium. Thank you for listening, and may you have a delightful day and an untroubled night.